0: Amen, church. Hey, let's, we're in this weird week, right? The, the The week between Christmas and New Year's feels like sort of this this lost week. But but here's the deal is that this morning, God still has work to do. He has work to do in each one of us. And the fact that you're here, that you are tuning in, that he has work to do. And so before we jump into opening up his word, I'm simply gonna ask your, your, uh, wherever you are right here to go before the Lord and ask him to speak to you through his word this morning. I don't know if your heart is disjointed from this week. I don't know if your mind is distracted from this week, but before we open his word together, would you simply ask God to speak to you through his word? Take a moment and do that now. Father, for these brief moments that we have to open your word together today. We ask that your spirit would illuminate these truths. We ask that you would capture our wandering minds, that you would enliven dead hearts, that you would elevate our thoughts of you, our Lord Jesus. That as we open your word together this morning, we might know you more and walk with joyful obedience because of what we hear. We ask and pray that In Christ's name, amen, amen. We all grab a seat. Good morning. My name is Matt Blackwell. I serve as one of our pastors and elders here at The Stone. And man, I hope you had a very Merry Christmas. I hope that you are ready for a Happy New Year. We almost made it, church. We're almost through 2020. It's like right there. Uh, And we can't wait to sort of turn the page and move into this next season, this next year, because man, this one has been a year. Uh, We hope that at the turn of the calendar, we kind of leave some of the 2020 mojo behind and and see some new realities coming into this next year. Because for so many folks that I talk to, maybe you too, and and I know for me, it's been sort of this piling on effect in 2020. You know what I mean by that? Like, Like it's been one hit after another. It's sort of like the waves of the ocean, they keep coming with relentless consistency. And it seems like the problems this year have sort of come with relentless consistency. Uh, And there's a difference between problems and crisis. See, problems are, they usually come one at a time and there's a identifiable solution. So you got a problem, it may be difficult, it might be uh, challenging, you might have to work at it, but you can usually figure out a problem. But when problems begin to pile up, and solutions seem to be uh, insignificant or just out of reach or you have no idea what to do and problems sort of start coming at every angle and you feel like there's a problem on this side and in front and and, and on this side and behind, you start spinning in circles. when, When problems pile up, that's what we call crisis. When solutions to every problem seem to be outside of our ability to understand, that's when things really start falling apart. And and my hope for us is that we don't get dizzy trying to solve all the issues, but that we can ask the Lord to lead us because I know some of us are in sort of this crisis moment. The, the, The problems have been piling up financially, vocationally, relationally, emotionally, Medically, And it seems like we don't even know which way to give our energy. We don't even know which way to pray our prayers because there's so many different things going on. And so we feel like we're in this sort of stressed out, even fearful mode. And so when we get into that mode, what, what we naturally do when, we, when we're facing fear, when we're facing stress, what we naturally do as humans is, you remember this from 10th grade class, I'm sure, you, you fight or flight. It's fight or flight. When you're in the, when you're backed into a corner, you're either gonna knuckle up and say, okay, I feel out of control. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take control by my own strength. And you start looking for fights everywhere you can. You've been on social media lately, a couple fights maybe happening on there. Hopefully you're not a part of that, but you feel that. Like, I gotta say something. Maybe you don't, but you feel like you do. Maybe you have some fights, even in your own brain, you start picking fights with people in your mind, the one, and those are the ones you usually win, right? Or, or maybe the, the most costly fights are the ones in your own home. Your sharpest words are reserved for your closest family members. And you feel just sort of this disjointedness and the out of control fear causes you to lash out. Well, that's some of us, some of us are in the other camp and that we're not fighters, we're flighters. And, and what that looks like, it's more sort of disengaging and, and numbing out and, 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 and not freaking out, but just sort of checking out, checking out emotionally. That may look like drinking too much, it may look like eating too much. It may look like binging on Netflix. It may look like just being emotionally unavailable. It may just feel like you're totally numb towards the realities of everything else that's going on. And that's just sort of flight, that's sort of just checking out. And so there has to be another response, right? We know that we, we aren't to fight or to just run away, but what is it that we're supposed to do when fear and worry and stress and, and anxiety start piling up on us? How do we interact with that? How do we engage with that? Well, this morning, uh, I wanna just turn to a, a little studied section of scripture in the Old Testament. So if you have your Bibles, I'm gonna ask you to open to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And what we'll see is a very simple way, a very powerful way to engage with, with those fears, to engage with those worries. When we're feeling anxious and afraid, how is it that we come to the Lord in prayer? Uh, what we see here is a, a model to do that. And so, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, while you're turning there, let me give you a little historical recap what's happening in the story up to date. So, this happens about 850 years before Christ, and there's a king over Judah, and his name is Jehoshaphat which is, by the way, is a fantastic name. It means God is the judge. So if you're pregnant, maybe looking for a baby name, Jehoshaphat might be uh, moving on the top of your list. A lot of Caleb's, a lot of Noah's out there, great names. Maybe Jehoshaphat might uh, enter into your baby name list. If you're looking for a unique one, it's the only one, uh, you'll have the only one out there. So Jehoshaphat, Uh, hereby uh, I will give him my nickname, Japhat uh, is the King of Judah, he becomes the King at age 35 and he is a good King. And he reigns for 25 years. He's a good King. He creates a whole new system of education in Judah. He builds up the cities. He tears down the the idolatrous places. He strengthens his army. He he actually appoints uh, upright, priests and and righteous judges. And so he is a good king. As a matter of fact, 2 Chronicles 17, just a few chapters before the scripture says that his heart was courageous in the ways of the Lord. And so here he is in chapter 20, leading the people of Judah living in Jerusalem and suddenly some aides burst into his chamber with some bad news. You ever been there? Things are going great. Life is good. And all of a sudden you get that text message, you get that phone call and everything changes. That's what happens here when his aides come in and they inform Jehoshaphat that there is now a massive multinational army that's moving in to wreck shop in Jerusalem. Let's read that in verse one of chapter 20. It says, after this, the Moabites and Ammonites and with them, some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, "A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi." So here, Jehoshaphat is warned that there's three nations that have teamed up against him and they are marching it. Matter of fact, they snuck around the Southern border through this marshy land that was uh, unmonitored because there was no way that people actually could march through the marsh, but this army did. And a matter of fact, now they have gotten so close to Jerusalem, they're in En Gedi, which is about a 15 hour march from Jerusalem. Essentially, if they march, they could be here tomorrow. And so Jehoshaphat, hears this and recognize that he's out of time. He's out of resources. He's out of strength. He doesn't have the time. He doesn't have the resources to prepare for that, which will be here tomorrow. This, This is a piling up of problems. Three nations coming tomorrow. There's nothing you can do. This is the moment of crisis in his life. And I love the, the Bible, so matter of fact, verse three says, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. <laughs> yeah, you think, hello. Yeah, everything that you've worked for, your nation, it's all gonna be gone and your life is gonna be taken from you. And he was afraid. And so like, another, like any other human, Jehoshaphat has the same response to fear, fight or flight. Do we knuckle up? Do we do our best to get our resources uh, mustered up so that we can uh, make a stand here? Or do we run for the hills and flee? And so the whole nation looks at our boy Fat and says, all right, King, what are we gonna do? Are we lacing up our tactical combat boots or are we putting on our ultra boosts and are we taking off? Because those are the only options. Except there's a third way and we see that in the life of this good King. Watch this in verse three. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. See, this brother didn't freak out. He didn't, he didn't get too worried. See, his fight was for his faith and his flight was to the Lord. That's what he did. And, and I think this is so telling because it's in those moments of tremendous fear It's in those moments where you're standing before something that's way too big for you. In those moments where you get that call, where you get that text, where you're facing an uncertain future, where everything seems to be falling apart and there doesn't seem to be any way forward. It's in those moments where you are facing your biggest opposition, where your prayers take on a whole new significance because the whirlwind of life out there, all of a sudden begins to fade into the background and that which is most important begins to become very, very sure and concentrated. And you begin to see with clarity that which is most important in those moments of crisis is when our prayers take on a whole new significance. I love what pastor and author Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of preachers says about this, listen to this. He says, God is too good to be unkind. He is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, we must trust his heart. The sweetest prayers that God ever hears are the groans and sighs of those who have no hope in anything but his love. And I think that's where Jehoshaphat found himself. He had no hope except in his Lord. So he prays three things. Three powerful ways that he prays. And here's what they are. He simply asks three questions. He says, God, are you not? God, did you not? God, will you not? Three prayers. Let's look at those. And here's what we'll do today. And this will be a little bit different than maybe a a normal uh, time is we're gonna do a little bit more interaction. And so we're gonna talk through this and then I'm gonna send you to just take some moments to pray through these things. So if you're at home, you can do that too. If you're here, you can pray with somebody that you came with or you can pray on your own. And just as an encouragement, I, don't miss the opportunity to be silent and still before the Lord. Man, I know that it, it can be awkward, it can feel weird, but these are very rare moments that we have to just sit and allow the Lord to speak and to speak to him. So we'll talk a little bit and then we'll spend just a few moments praying together and then we'll continue on. But let's look at that first, uh, first question that Jehoshaphat prays, verse six. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations in your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Now I love that Jehoshaphat starts with uh, a prayer but he doesn't ask a question. He doesn't ask for anything. The question that he asked is God, are you not? He's appealing to God's character and asking the question, are you not? Essentially, he's saying, God, you are. He's saying, this is who you are. You are the Lord. He he presents it as a prayer, but he's really presenting it as an appeal. And essentially he's saying, God, you are the God of our fathers. You are not distant, you are personal. God, you do rule over all the kingdoms. You are not subordinate, you are sovereign. God, in your hands are power and might. You're not impotent, you are powerful. And church, I hope that we might pray like that. When you're facing your biggest crisis, your biggest worry, your greatest fear, when your insides are melting and you've got nothing else to hope in, that you too can turn your gaze to God and say, God, are you not? Are you not who you said you are? God, I've studied your Bible. I've read your word. Are you true? Are you the things that you've said that you are? God, prove them to us now. Be who you are in these moments. Before you ask God of anything, would you be reminded of his character? So church, let's do that now. Take a few moments and simply pray that prayer. God, are you not? And then you fill in that blank, whatever comes to mind, just see how many things you can praise God for in these moments. God, are you not? And just ask the Lord, to continue to bring to mind who he is. there is none like you. You are, I am. There's none like you in heaven. There's none like you on earth. You are God, you are father, you rule over all kingdoms. So whatever crisis we're facing, whatever this past year has thrown at us that we didn't know what to do with, whatever this new year has in store for us, God, would you remind us that as it is in heaven, it is on earth, it's all yours. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever, amen. Well, he continues in his prayer. Not only does he say, God, are you not? He begins with appealing to God's character, but then he says, God, did you not? Appealing to God's faithfulness. Let's look together in verse seven. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? God, did you not, right? He's looking back on the past work that God has done and and looking back on past faithfulness of God, he takes boldness in the present. God, you did this in the past. You've worked in the past. You've made good on your promises back then and you therefore will do it again now. God, did you not do it back then? And would you not do it again now? He looks back on the past and man, like I said, this year for so many of us has been a year. But before we leave 2020, we've got to look back and say, God, did you not? Didn't you work in this year? God, our our problems were piling up, but our problems that piled up also gave us a new perspective on who you are. So we too can pray, God, did you not? God, did you not? connect people here in the city of Austin at the Austin Stone by starting 83 brand new small groups in the midst of a pandemic. God, did you not hear uh, among the people through the gifts that you've given the people of the Austin Stone, allow Austin Stone Worship to release three albums this year, praise of worship songs to you? God, did you not this year allow 2,641 Austin Stone folks to take an online class? We've never done any online classes before, but thousands of people were able to take those classes. God, did you not allow through Austin Stone Goers to see 200 brand new churches started this year around the world? God, did you not through those churches allow 500 new believers to get baptized among unreached people groups around the globe? God, did you not through your spirit prompt in your people at the stone, a generous heart in the midst of a pandemic so that we were able to give $750,000 away to to hurting families, to, to nonprofits and to struggling churches here in this city. God, you did that. You did all of that and more. And so God, did you not do that? Remind us of the faithfulness that you have shown us this year and all those leading up to this year. So church, let's do this. Let's tend spend a moment saying, God, did you not this year? And then you fill in the blank. Allow, allow the spirit of God to remind you of the work that he's done in and through your life this year, this church this year. So let's go back to prayer. God, this year, did you not? You are faithful. You've been faithful to us this year. While we might be a little fragile, we aren't without faith. You've given us stability. You've opened our eyes and our ears to see and to hear from you in fresh ways. You've given us opportunities this year to meet together in smaller groups around the city, in homes and apartments, online, in person, outside, in living rooms, around the globe. So Lord, as we have seen you work this past year, we ask God that you would work in this upcoming year. Give us hope in that which you have planned. We pray that in Christ's name, amen. And then the final prayer that Jehoshaphat prays, you can guess it. He's looking now towards the future. Look at verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not? Will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Man, that's a good prayer. God, will you not go before us? There's something in front of us that's too big, too great. We have too little resource, too little energy, too little gifting, too little time, but God, we don't, we don't know what to do. You had that feeling this year in 2020? I, I don't know. People asking you questions, you're like, we're just gonna have to play this one out. I know as we've led here in, in the church, we've had many times where we say, God, we do not know what to do, but God, our eyes are on you. Would you show us what to do? Would you lead us in this season? Would you lead us into this new year? Because Lord, you know what to do. Where we lack knowledge, you are perfect in knowledge. Where we lack faith, you are perfect in faithfulness. And so God, would you continue to lead us? I love that he says, our eyes are on you, God. Our eyes are on you. We need to know your character. Our eyes are on you. We need to remember your faithfulness. Our eyes are on you. We need to trust your plan. And so this year, we don't know what's in store. None of us do, we can make guesses, but we know this, that God will lead us. And so our hope is this, is that this year, maybe 40 or so Sundays out of the year, we'll open up the book of Matthew and we'll study God's word together. That this year by God's grace, we will write and sing brand new worship songs. That this year by God's grace, we will get to sacrifice for the, for the needs of the marginalized and the vulnerable in the city of Austin. For this year, by God's grace, we will get to know and love one another in new ways, in person and online and inside and outside in apartments and in dorms and in homes and in neighborhoods. And we will say, God, would you allow us to be the people that you've called us to be? By God's grace, we will send new goers to new places and and start new churches and see more and more people get to taste and see that the Lord is good. More people be baptized uh, and, and grow in faith. More churches started that would exist for the name and supremacy of Jesus Christ in Austin, in the US and around the world. God, would you not allow this to be a church that trusts you into the future, trusts you into this new year, God, would you not do that? So church, what are you asking God to do in this new year? Maybe you hadn't thought about that because you've just been trying to survive the current year. But for a moment, would you go before the Lord and say, God, would you not in this new year? I'm I'm gonna ask for this. I'm gonna hope into this. I'm gonna ask you to do this in my life, in my family and in our church for the good of your people and the glory of your name. So let's go before the Lord. God, I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you, so God, Will you not? Father, we bless you, we trust you, we worship you. Lord, we don't know what this year holds for us. We don't know what it holds for our families and for our church and for our city, but we pray that whatever comes, that our eyes will be on you. We'll fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Let us stay focused on the essential things Let us know and enjoy you more this year. Let us hear from your word. Let us be the church that you desire us to be. Would you raise up disciples and worshipers and evangelists that will magnify and glorify your name? Would you restore your people to a knowledge of the holy? We ask that in Christ's name, amen. And church, we can't leave this passage without seeing how God answers this prayer. So remember, Jehoshaphat prays, they fast. I'm sure by this time, they can see the dust rising up from the army marching across the horizon. The fear is rising. And so look at how God answers this prayer. Verse 15, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, at this great horde for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against him and the Lord will be with you. So Jehoshaphat doesn't fight, doesn't flight, but he trusts and he prays and God answers that. Jehoshaphat says, God, we don't know what to do. We're powerless against them. And God says, I got you, I got you, fear not. The battle is mine. And so they do. Jehoshaphat then goes down, verse 20, hear me, Judah. He goes out and tells the people, hear me, Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, your God, and you will be established. Believe His prophets and you uh, you will succeed. And so church, it's one thing to say you trust God. It's another thing to do what Jehoshaphat does next. Because what he does next is an admission of his trust in the word that God has said. It's an admission of trust because if God doesn't come through, they're done. They're lost. So here's what he does. Verse 21, watch this. So he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. You may be saying, what? Like I was saying, what? When I read verse 21, here's what he does. He says, hey choir, put on your choir robes. Now y'all go out in front, not with spears, not with swords, not with shields, but with songs and y'all lead the army out. He's gonna conquer with a choir. He's saying, you guys go first and you guys sing praises to God. If God doesn't come through, they were done. They had no protection. The choir leads the army and they sing this. That word say is so small in the Hebrew, it's this. this they say, they proclaim, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever and they say it again. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever and they say it again. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever and they they keep saying it and they're marching across the field and the choir marches and they, their praise freaks out the other army so much they don't know what to do. They grab their swords and they start swinging every direction and they actually destroy themselves. And the people of God see a victory through their songs. God uses their songs to throw their enemies into disarray. And so church this year, Again, we don't know what this year holds. I hope and I pray that we would be a praying church, that we'd be a singing church, that you would be a praying person, that you would be a singing person, that you would still have a song in your heart and that your songs and your prayers would anchor you in God's character, that your songs and your prayers would remind you of God's faithfulness in the past, that your songs and that your prayers would allow you to trust in his plan in the future and that you would burst into uh, 2021 with a new song and a new hope because of who God is, because of what God's done, because of what God will do. So church, let's do that. Let's sing in the new year. Let's be the choir. Let's be the people that God has called us to be so that when we sing, we might be reminded to sing, God, are you not? God, did you not? God, will you not? So if you're here, if you're at home, let's lift our voices as we leave this year behind and start into this next year with songs on our lips and hope in our hearts and who God is. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for 2020, we do. Even though the problems piled up, God, we know that you sent these problems And they've sent us to you. We've made haste to seek you this year. So now as we prepare for a new year, as we raise the sail and take up the anchor and sail into this new year, God, we ask for courage. I ask for courage for your people. God, give them a renewed desire to know you in your word this year. God, would you give them grateful hearts to be reminded of your faithfulness? Would you give them courage to face this new year with whatever is in store, God, give them courage and boldness to be a holy and a happy people. Lord, we ask us that you would prepare us and make us more into the people that you've called us to be so that our lives and our church would truly exist for the name and supremacy of Jesus Christ in all things. We ask that in your name.